Good morning. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me, I guess. Um, my wife asked me if I was 60 this morning, and I, and I thought, baby, come on now, please. But that's all right. 60 is good. <laughs> Being able to see 61 is better. 62 is even better than that. And so uh, we'll just see how long God tarries, but we're glad. Listen, have you had a good week this week? Mike, you had a good week? Uh, awesome week? That's great. You got a guy behind you, listen, in the middle of our time, if you would just reach back, grab him, talk to him about Jesus, he needs Jesus. That's all I know. I'm not talking about Dave. I'm talking about Mark. And so, uh, but anyway, um, and listen, Michael, of all things, I don't know if you're still in here, of all things, don't be offering people Florida Gator tickets, okay? I mean, come on, people, please. Um, anyway, I want you to turn to Romans, Romans chapter three. We're going to be there today. If you've been with us over the past couple of months, you know that we have been walking through um, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Been very significant after um, starting off with a couple of weeks of Paul just sort of introducing himself. Uh, since that time, we have been walking through uh, these couple of chapters leading up to where we are today where, where Paul has basically said this over and over, this broken record of, guys, listen, regardless of who you are, there are no exceptions. We all are sinners by nature and by choice, and we got a problem. Listen, we all deserve God's wrath and his judgment. The best of bad news, the bad news is we got a problem and we can't solve it, but the good news is that God's provided a way of escape, and that's where we are. That's where we're going to find ourselves at today. So the, which begs the question, if there is an answer to the problem, if, there's a, if there is a solution to the issue that we face as sinners, what is that solution? How can we be made right with God? And so we're going to be talking about that because it's really important because based on who that you may talk to, they may answer that question just a little bit differently. I mean, if I were to ask somebody the question, you know, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? There's a lot of things that people may say. Some people may say, well, you know, I go to church heard that before. Or some people might say, well, you know, I've been baptized. Well, that's great. Other people may say, well, you know, I, I, I give regularly, okay? I get, or I serve. I, you know, that's always a good one. I serve. I've been serving for 30 years in the children's ministry. All right, that's good. There's lots of different things that people may say. I've even heard the one, well, you know, my, my mom and daddy, my, my great-grandparents, they built that church. <laughs> I've heard that one before. But how, how is a person made right with the Lord? How, how do we not only come to know Christ, but how are we made right with the Lord? You know, what does the scripture have to teach? Because depending on who you talk to, where you go, what denomination, what part of the world you may be in, there are different answers that people may give. But what does the scripture have to say specifically? Because there are lots of confusion and chaos and the differences when it comes to answering that question, how do I get right with God? But I hope my prayer today is when we get done with this, you're going to have a really clear picture, not of just what I say, but what the, what the scripture has to say. Isn't that important? Isn't that important? Amen. It's not what I have to say. It's not what somebody else has to say, but what does the scripture have to say about how do I get right with God? And so, um, Look at the person next to you this morning, if somebody's sitting next to you, and say, I'm so glad that you're here today. Would you do that? 
And I say that because I believe that the Lord wants to speak something into your life today. If you'll listen very closely, you'll hear it. Don't miss it. Because what's spoken today, what the scripture has to say can be life-changing for you. Life-changing. You're going to hear something today of what Paul has to say that will completely, in many, many ways, disassemble anything that you have maybe put up that, that sets you right before God. Because a lot of the things that we hold on to do not make us right before God. But there's only one thing that makes us right before God, and we're going to see what Paul has to say today. So with that being said, let's start off reading there in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, and following to the end. And he starts out by saying, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we have, been, we have made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. There are some words I really want you to pay attention to today. I want you to pay attention to the words everyone, believe, faith, some of those key words. I want you to really, really hone in on those things. And he says here, for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they, when they what? Believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being made fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it's based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they be Jew or Gentile. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Let's pray. Father, over these next few moments, that we're together. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be here in this place and that God, that you would teach us. That's what I ask. Help us to walk out of here with some nuggets of truth that will help us on this journey of our faith of not just knowing you, but following you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I want us to do today is I want us to take a look at some truths about righteousness. Um, with that being said, let's go back to, to there at, at verse 21 and look at what he says. But now, and I want you to underline that because but now is really important. But now, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And these two words are a really big deal because up until this time, if you remember what I said, here's Paul been giving us all this bad news. He's been feeding us all this information about, about uh, um, the fact that we deserve um, 
judgment and wrath. He's painted this really dark picture concerning the wrath of God and the judgment of God in reference to us. But here and now the words, but now, it's like a switching of gears. I, I don't even know if we have stick shifts. Kevin, do they even make stick shifts anymore? I don't even, some of you guys don't even know what a stick shift is. But now that's what we used to have, used to have a stick shift. This is like, man, we're fixing to kick it into the next gear and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna gear it down. And so here it is, he's kicking in, but Paul switches these gears from the bad news to the coming good news. And Paul said, listen, that God has given a way, made a way for us to be right without the keeping of the law. Before we go any further, let's talk about this word righteousness and what it means. Let's make sure that we're all on the same page because we can say that there's, there's a couple of different levels of righteousness. There's God's righteousness and there's man's righteousness. God's righteousness, we're referring to God's perfection, we're referring to his holiness, we're referring to his fairness, that God is without blemish and he's perfect in every way. It's hard for us to understand God's righteousness because it's difficult for us to grasp because he is the one who defines righteousness, not us. He is the one who sets the standard. But then there's man's righteousness and we learned last week that our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. It's not good at all. It means what righteousness, man righteousness, that we're right with God. If you were to, a more clarified definition of righteousness would be this right here, being as one should be. So today what we're talking about is us being righteousness, a righteousness that comes from God. We're talking about a righteousness um, uh, that relates to our righteousness that comes as a result of what God does for us. And so here's Paul saying, God has shown us a way to make us right with him without the keeping and the requirements of the law. So what law? What are we referring to here? Well, we're talking about Mosaic law. We're talking about the law that God had given to Moses to pass down to the people. It was the Ten Commandments and the laws that followed. It was the laws that they were supposed to obey so that they could live in relationship with God as well as relationship with man. These were the rules that God had given for, that he had chose for us to live by. And Paul is saying, look, there is a righteousness. There's a righteousness of being made right with God that is apart from obedience to the law. Now, if you think about that, that's revolutionary, isn't it? In other words, he's saying, I mean, for us, we always think, well, it's about I'm being made right because I obey the law. But here's Paul saying, no, he said, there is, there is a way that God has made that there is a righteousness that is apart from the law. I mean, how many of us think for us to be a righteous person, for us to be right with God, we must obey the law. But the first thing that I want you to write down today is this, being righteous isn't dependent on following the rules. I want you to write that down. We learn today, based on what Paul says, that our righteousness isn't, isn't dependent on following the rules. That our righteousness isn't about what we do. It's not about anything that we can earn. It's not something that we deserve. And Paul continues on there in verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without the keeping, keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So that phrase, the... the uh, the writings of Moses and prophets long ago, that's a reference back to the Old, Old Testament. And here's the second point that I want you to write down today. How to get right with God is revealed by the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. There's a righteousness apart from the law 
This, in other words, this righteousness apart from the law isn't something that's new, but it's something that has been passed down. It's something that the scriptures has, had pointed to all the way throughout. Paul said, listen, this isn't my plan. This isn't something that I've invented. This is not something that a good idea that I've come up with. But it's been this way from the beginning. You just haven't seen it. You don't understand it. It's difficult for you to comprehend. So how is the Old Testament revealing this? Well, there's several different ways, but let me just summarize it with one. The law showed and proved to us that we could never be perfect. See, when God gave us the law, he knew that there was no way that we would be able to keep the law as it was. But he gave us the law so that we would be able to recognize our sin so that we would understand that we're incapable of being able to meet the expectations that were set. And what it would do is it would, it would cause us to go, man, I got i got to have some help. Now, there's, there's an issue going on here that I can't, I can't seem to solve. And what it would do is it would prepare the way for us to be able to receive the Messiah and the righteousness that would come through him and him alone. The prophets in the Old Testament, they made it clear by their writings, the Messiah is coming. One who will meet the needs of the law. He will rescue us, those of us that are willing to believe and trust and place our faith in him. Like passages in Isaiah chapter 53 we read where it makes it very clear that not only to talk to us about the Messiah, but the fact that he was coming and what he would accomplish. Jesus himself even made reference to the writings of Moses and the prophets. Maybe you remember the story after the resurrection. Here is Jesus has been crucified. He's been placed in the tomb. Jesus is resurrected. If you remember, Mary goes to the tomb. He's gone. Where's he at? Nobody knows. Man, it calls to stir. Maybe you know the story. There's a couple of guys on the way to Emmaus. They're, they're talking about what had taken place. And Jesus sort of shows up. And in the middle of that time, he begins to speak. And we see the words in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It said that Jesus took them through the writing of Moses and all the prophets. In other words, he took them back to the Old Testament. And it said that he explained to all the scriptures the things that were concerning himself. And so we see this throughout the scriptures. And it's the same. It all points to Jesus. It's all about him. Write this down. Our righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at what he says there in the, in the first part of verse 22. We are made right with God by how? What does he say? We're made right with God by obeying the law. What does he say? We're made right with God by what? By placing our faith in Christ. Doesn't say works. Doesn't say anything about our acts of sacrifice, man, our good looks, whatever we may possess, but being right with God comes through faith. And you know this, we've talked about this time and time again. How do you define faith? Forsaking all, I trust Him. I'm willing to, to abandon everything else and place my faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now listen, don't, don't take what I'm saying and, and, and turn my words. I'm not saying that what we do isn't important because it is. But what I'm saying and what Paul is saying is our salvation is not based upon what we do, but it's based upon what Jesus himself has done. Do you ever understand, do you ever think about the fact that God doesn't love us based on what we do? Isn't that hard? It's hard for us to understand that God's love isn't based on for our God's love for us isn't based on what we do. He's already made the decision up front. He loves us, period. 
Isn't that something else? See, it's hard for us to understand that because that's not how we, that's not how we love, is it? You ever thought about that? I mean, how many times is our affection for someone based upon what they do or how they respond to us? I mean, to think that God loves us because of what we do is an attitude of pride. That's what it is. God loves me. Look at, look at, he loves me because I'm a good person. Because of all the things that I do, and it's something that we all have to rest, wrestle with. And here's an, another nugget about righteousness, God's righteousness. Um, and and it, this is true for every one of us who believes. That's just what he says in verse 22. No matter who we are, and here's that fourth one, anyone or everyone can get right with God through faith in Jesus. What does everyone mean? Everyone. That's what it means. Everyone. Anyone, everyone, you know, for the person that you don't think, yeah, Brian made it, Brian said it a while ago. I mean, why do we assemble together as, as believers and followers of Christ? Because we have hope. Man, why in the world would I do what I do if I didn't believe in what the scripture had to say and that there was hope? Why in the world would I want to spend all my time doing what I do if I didn't believe that there was hope in Jesus Christ? There is hope. For the person that you've counted out, there's hope. For the person that you say there's no way, there is hope. There's hope in Christ. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, we know what the scripture says. God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. That's the heart of God. That's his heart. Is that your heart? But that's God's heart. For the person that's wronged you, for the person that's hurt you, for the person that has abandoned you, there's hope. There's hope. He doesn't want to see anyone spend eternity apart from him. And that is the reason for Jesus and his sacrifice. And that righteousness is available to everyone who is willing to believe and trust in Christ. Here's a fifth thing that we see there in verse 23. Being right with God is what every one of us needs. He says in verse 23, for everyone, there's that word again, has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. See, the problem that we have is, is universal. It's not a skin color problem. It's not a financial issue. It's not social economic status. It's not the part of the world we may live in, but the problem that we all have that's universal, it's a sin, it's a sin problem. Now, I know, and you know, there are people that seem to dress it up just a little bit better than others. There are some people that in our eyes, we think that they're better. But the, the truth is, don't be mistaken, all of us are sinners and all of us fall short. Now, you may think that some people are better because of what they do or what they don't do. But apart from Christ, listen, man, we're all in a mess. Truthful. We're all sinners. We're all messed up and we all need to get right with God. But there's some incredible news. Look at what he says in verse 24. He says there in verse 24, yet God in his, in his grace, he freely makes us right in his sight. The NIV says this, being justified as a gift by his grace. That word justified, it means to be declared righteous, to be made right. And what he says is that we are declared right before God freely. Write this nugget down, number six. Being made right with God has been made available to us by His grace, a result of His grace. We're declared right before God as a result of His grace. 
What is grace, you may say? It's unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. It's getting something that we don't deserve. We may define it as God's riches at Christ's expense. That may be one of the ways that we can define that. You know, as I look back on my, my own life, boy, I sure am grateful for God's grace. I'm really grateful. How many of us are thankful for God's grace? Do you even understand God's grace that God has given you something that you don't deserve? We don't deserve heaven. In reality, we all deserve what? That other place. But God went to every extent to provide a way for us, not because we deserved it, but he gave it to us freely. You know, I, I think back on my life and I think, man, where in the world would I be without God's grace? Where in the world would I be if, if God in his, in his grace didn't reach down? And it's something that I didn't experience just one, but it's something that I experience continually. Are you with me? Yet how many times do people think that their, their righteousness is based upon what they do, not what Christ did for us? I'd be in a mess. But only Jesus. Look at what he goes on to say in the second half of that verse. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. The NIV says through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That, that word redemption, that's a, that's a big word, isn't it? I mean, that's a, that's a large word. We can liken it to a payment. You have a prisoner, you have a, a person that's a slave, and the only the way that they can be released or set free is for them to be redeemed. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says that, that Jesus, that he came to give his life as a ransom. That word ransom, um, in the Greek, it means to literally a price paid to liberate. There's a price that's been paid to liberate us because all of us are prisoners to sin. That sin leading to death. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He liberated us by paying a price for us on the cross to set us free from the bondage of sin because all of us are slaves. Slaves to sin. And yet God chose to liberate, to deliver us, to free us as a result of Jesus. And Paul said when he was writing to the believers at Corinth, he said we were purchased with a price, and you wonder why sometimes we sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, yet he washed it white as snow. Continue reading with me there in verse 25. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they, what? People are made right with God when they, work, when they earn it, when they're good enough? No, he says they're right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being made fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. And God this, did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight. 
when they, and here's, here's that word again, when they what? When they believe. When they believe in Jesus. Write this down. Jesus made it possible for us to be made right with God through his sacrifice when we believe. Jesus made it possible for us to be made right with God through his sacrifice when we believe. So Paul writes, being right with God is made possible through Jesus and his sacrifice when we believe. So what Jesus' death did was it satisfied a debt. It was a debt that we couldn't pay. It was, a, it was a debt that Jesus paid that he didn't owe. And Jesus didn't owe that debt because he was sinless. He was perfect. Didn't matter if we wanted to pay the debt or not. There was no way that we could satisfy that account. It's like going to the, to the store and, and you purchase something and you get to the counter and, man, you pull out the change and you just don't have enough. And you're looking around and the person's looking at you and you're looking at them and you're looking at you and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't have enough. Maybe you've been in that situation before. And Jesus steps in and said, I got it. I, I got it covered. I'll take care of it. I'll make sure the bill is paid. Jesus stepped in and he paid our debt on the cross by the shedding of his blood. Talking about reference to blood in the Old Testament, the Jewish Holy Day called the Day of Atonement. You can read more about the Day of Atonement if you go back to the Old Testament. Maybe that's a, a reading that you want to do this week in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 16. But here we are, we're a couple thousand years prior to to Jesus' death on the cross and our Heavenly Father God established this day, this most holy day that was set aside as the Day of Atonement. And it was on that day that they would bring two goats to the high priest. One would be sacrificed and that blood would be taken into the tabernacle to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant would, was, was, uh, was held. And it was there, that Ark of the Covenant had been designed by God and it was placed there. It was a sign of God's presence as well as the promises of God. And inside of that, God had not only, he had placed it, but he also designed it. It was made with a special wood and it was made with, um, with gold. And inside of that box, there were certain items. One of those things was the Ten Commandments. And on the top of that box, there was a lid and that lid was known as the mercy seat. The mercy seat, it comes from a Hebrew word that means to cover or to appease or to cleanse, to cancel or to make atonement or satisfaction as it relates to God. And so what would take place is it wasn't just about satisfaction, but it was also about reconciliation. So you had this, this animal that was sacrificed and the priest would cleanse himself and then he would go into one time a year, just one time a year, he would go in to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people and he would take the blood from that, from that goat and he would sprinkle it upon the top of that mercy seat. That mercy seat that housed the Ten Commandments. And I want, you to, I want you to hold on and I want you to think about this. And so you had the blood that was sprinkled on the top of the mercy seat that was covering the commandments, the law. And I don't know if you can get a picture of that. But the priest sprinkled the blood on the lid, the mercy seat, which meant, which was a, which was a, a, a um, it, it related to canceling out or satisfying or reconciling, that blood reconciling. It made right. 
And so what ended up happening, the second goat was taken and that, that second goat, the hands would be placed upon his head. He would, he would confess the sins of the people. They were a symbolism of being transferred onto, the, onto that goat and that goat would be led out to, to an area outside the gate into the wilderness where that goat would be released and set free. And there's a correlation between the Day of Atonement that the people participated in and Jesus' death on the cross. So the symbolism of the blood on the mercy seat was a symbol of the sins being covered. And here's Jesus' blood that was shed for us so that our sins would be forgiven once and for all. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says this, for the life of the body is, is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. That, that's what it was done. It was to be there. It was participated to make us right with the Lord. In this blood, given in exchange for a life, that makes purification possible. So in the Old Testament, the people witnessed what took place that day on that day of atonement. And they looked forward to a day when the Messiah would come but today, man, what a privilege. We're not looking forward to that day. We're looking back on the cross and what Jesus did. Amen? We're not looking ahead and hoping and praying. We're looking back, not on, not on what we think happened, but what the Scripture teaches us happened, that Jesus died. Don't in any, any moment think that God didn't care about the sins that had been committed. I mean, but the blood of an animal could not pay for our sins once and for all. It was only a temporary covering. But they were expecting Jesus, knowing that he would come to eventually pay the ultimate price for our sin, completely and forever. No more sacrifice needed. That he would become the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of the world once and for all. For all. Verse 26 said he was looking ahead, including them in what he would do. In the present time, God this, did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in him. How did God demonstrate his righteousness? He did so by sending Jesus. There was no other option. There was no other option that our sins could be paid for. And Jesus came and he paid the price once and for all. Jesus was not only just, but he was also the justifier. Jesus is the righteousness. He is the righteous one. But here's the dilemma. Because of God's holiness, he had to punish sin. There wasn't any way around it. And so here is God our Father. He is sending his Son out of heaven in the form of man to pay the price for all humanity. And his sacrifice would open up the door so that every person that was willing to believe could be saved. Not some, but every person. And Paul goes on to write in verse 27 and 28, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? And what does he say? No, 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 because our acquittal is not based on obedience to the law, but it's based on faith. In other words, the price hasn't been paid because we've kept the law, but it's based upon faith. So here we are made right with God through faith, forsaking all. I trust him, not obedience to the law. And Paul sums it up here. That's what he does. And you can write down being right with God makes bragging impossible. The conclusion that Paul makes is, look, 
There's no place for bragging. There's no place for, for boasting, but it's only because of God's grace that we're saved and nothing else. Nothing else. You grew up going to church. Maybe you're saying, okay, all right, Pastor Sid, now, now we, need to, we just need to back up just a little bit. Let's talk about this. I mean, um, what about what James, the brother of Jesus, had to say in his letter when he was writing there in chapter 2 in, in the book of James? When he wrote that faith without works is dead, does that mean that what I do is worthless or it's not relevant? Absolutely not. What James was referring to didn't have anything to do with, with how we obtain righteousness or how we get right with God, but he was, what he was talking about is how we demonstrate or how we prove our faithfulness, that we have faith. James was writing in an attempt to address some issues that were going on inside the church, the hypocrisy. Here were some people that said that they believed in God, yet there was no evidence in that in their life. Can you believe that? Can you believe that there would be people that would say they believe and they have faith in Christ, and yet their life would, be, would show no evidence of it? Can you believe that? You're supposed to, oh, no, I can't believe that. But here's, Paul, here's James addressing this issue. And James is going to say, no, listen, man, faith without works is dead. He's not talking about salvation. But what he's saying is, listen, if, if there's a relationship with God, there ought to be, there ought to be some evidence of your, in your life. I mean, let's just say that you were put on trial and called to the witness stand would be some of those that were closest to you. Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christ follower? I mean, what evidence is there in your life that your life is is different, that your life has been changed. James is, was writing more about proving and demonstrating our faith. But this is what I know. <laughs> no Jesus, no change. No Jesus, no change. It's just the way it is. Paul said that any man in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has has come. We don't do good things to earn God's favor, but they are a response to God, God's love towards us. Let's move towards the end there in verse 29 and 30. After all, is, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jew or Gentile. And you can write this down at number nine. I'll only add one more after this one. Being right with God is available to Jews and Gentiles. There's only one God. There's only one people. There's only one true church. There's only one Messiah, and there's only one way to get right with God. We're all sinners, but we're all saved only by God's grace, not by what we do. I mean, it sounds like a broken record today, doesn't it? And then he says in verse 31, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? In other words, if, if it's all about faith, can I, just, can I just forget about the law and what the law says? And Paul says, no. In fact, only when we have faith do we fully, do we truly fulfill the law. Okay, Paul, what about the law? Does that mean that the law has no significance Yes, it has significance. I mean, if the law doesn't make it righteous, then what good is it? And you can write this down as the last statement. Being right with God through faith upholds God's law. The law is good 
because the law shows us the righteousness of God and it also shows and illuminates our sin. It shows us that we can't, there's no possible way for us to be able to obtain righteousness because of anything that we do. Because our righteousness doesn't come as a result of anything we do, but all about what Jesus has done. And when we read the scriptures, they point us to Jesus. When we read the scriptures, they point us to Jesus. Religion says, I must do something. Scripture says Jesus has done it all. John 6, 29. I'm paraphrasing. Here's Jesus in a conversation and they ask the question, what kind of work do we need to be doing, Jesus? Jesus, tell us what we need to be doing. What kind of work do you want us to do? And Jesus made this statement and he said this. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe. Believe. Believe in the one that he has sent. See, see, there's some of us that need to stop trying and just start believing. Yet how many times are we, we trying to do something to obtain something to get further along in the journey and we fail to recognize to place our faith and to believe some of us today need to stop trying and start believing to recognize that there's nothing nothing that we will ever be able to obtain do to obtain righteousness there's nothing that we can ever do to be able to obtain God's Favor. There's nothing that we can ever do that God's already done it for us, that he paid it all. To admit our sin, to recognize the chaos and confusion that sin brings, to confess it, and to believe that Jesus is enough. You know, some of you need to hear that today whether you're here in this building, in this room today personally, or if you're listening online, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some listening that you need to hear this. Quit trying, start believing. Quit trying, start believing. Over and over and over again, we heard believe, believe, believe. Believe. And I finished with this story. I've told you this before. I love it. I'll always remember the mother that brought me their child and said, You fix them. I can't fix them. I'm tired of dealing with them. It's a single mom. She said, They're driving me crazy. She brought him in. She sat him down and she walked out the door and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. He's sitting in the chair across from the hall. I'm behind my desk. And, um, I'm just, there the, there's the times that the Lord just really speaks to you. You know what I'm saying? And he gives you something that you didn't, I mean, it wasn't like you sat there and planned on it. I mean, it just sort of comes. And I opened up, my, my drawer was sort of open, and I, and I had a fork in my, in my drawer. And, and I took, took out that fork, and I, and I handed it to him, and I said, hey, stick that in the light socket. And he said, um, I'm not going to do that. And I said, come on, man, you're a teenager. You're stupid. 
And he said, and he said, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, why aren't you going to do that? He said, because it'll shock me. I said, it's not going to shock you. Trust me. Trust me. Just stick it in the light socket. He said, Pastor said, I'm not going to do that. I said, why aren't you going to do it? He said, because it'll shock me. I said, no, it won't. Just trust me. Stick it in the light socket. I'm not going to do it, Pastor said. I said, come on, man. Help me out here. Work with me. Just stick it in the light socket. It's not going to, it's not going to hurt you. Just do it. I'm not going to do it. Why aren't you going to do it? Because it'll shock me. <laughs> and it was a peace that fell over that room when I said to him, you know, it's amazing what we believe, how it impacts the way we live. And it's the same for us. What we believe impacts the way we live. Quit trying. Start believing. Jesus paid it all. The price has already been paid. For us to even begin to think that we, that we have we, we, that we can earn it? No, Paul said you can't boast about that. There's no bragging involved. That's pride. What is it that keeps us from believing and trusting in Christ? I don't need him. I don't need him because I can handle it. If you don't know Jesus today, I'll tell you what's keeping you from making the biggest decision in your life. You don't see you have a need. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the privilege of your reading of your word today. And, and what Paul had to say is he ushers in this new thought of belief and hope and faith through Jesus. A righteousness that comes as a result of what Christ did for us. Father, I pray for those of us that, of believers that, that are believers that we would be encouraged in this. Father, help to, help to strengthen our belief. For the people that may be listening to my voice, whether here or online, God, I just ask that work for those of us that may be wrestling, trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn salvation, that we would recognize, Jesus, that's just a dead-end street. It just leads to frustration and aggravation and exhaustion and hopelessness. For those of us that may be in that situation, help us to stop trying and start believing. Because when we believe, it changes everything. And for the person that may not be a Christ follower even today, they can make that decision by crying out to you and saying, Jesus, my life's a mess. Would you save me today? I want to believe. I want to follow you. Father, help us as we walk out of this place today May we be your ambassadors, your representatives for Jesus. Help us not to put on others a burden that we ourselves can't even bear. Thank you for the privilege of your word, for what it means, for the encouragement that it brings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.